Welcome to the Film at Lincoln Center podcast. On a special opening night edition, NYFF Director of Programming Dennis Lim is joined by Steve McQueen to discuss Lover's Rock, which makes its world premiere tonight at the festival. A movie of tactile sensuality and levitating joy, Lover's Rock is part of Steve McQueen's small acts anthology of decades-spanning films that alight on various lives in London's West Indian community. Here, McQueen, in an ecstatic yet no less formally bold mode, charts the growing attraction between Martha, newcomer Amara J. St. Abin, and a brooding stranger, played by Michael Ward, over the course of one night at a house party. Tickets for Brooklyn and Queens drive-in screenings and nationwide virtual tickets for Lover's Rock are now on sale at filmlink.org NYFF, along with two more films in the anthology, Mangrove and Red, White, and Blue. Enjoy this conversation with director Steve McQueen on his remarkable, ambitious new project and his opening night selection. Welcome to this Q&A with Steve McQueen, director of three films in this year's New York Film Festival, including our opening film, Lava's Rock, which I think many of you have just seen. Uh, this is one of uh, part of an anthology called Small Axe. Um, we touched on this a little bit in the introduction. Having seen um, three of the films, uh, which all of which we're showing in, in the festival this year, I'm, I'm really struck by how different they are from one another. And I think that really speaks to the, the scope and the ambition of the project. Can you say a little bit about just conceptualizing the whole and also, you know, the parts? Like, What, what were certain things that you wanted to represent? I mean, these are films that span nearly 20 years. Um, and it's a period that sort of maps over, you know, your formative years, right, as, as, as a child. So there were, some of them are based on well-known incidents, um, or relatively well-known incidents, maybe at least to, to um, people in, in, in Britain. Um, and some are not less so, like, like Lover's Rock, which is very much a film about everyday experience. Well, I mean, I'll just start with Lover's Rock, which people just seen. Um, Lover's Rock was for me about every single sense, the, the, the taste, the smell, the, the sound, uh, the, the, you know, the feel. It was, it was, it was about an, a certain kind of aesthetic, a certain kind of um, black aesthetic, if you will, a, a, a joy, um, a, a release. Uh, um, it, was a, it was a certain kind of... Um, I don't know, love. It was this a sort of explosion of joy and, and, and all the elements, all, this, all, the, all the sort of uh, elements that come into that. And as a child, um, I remember going to bed with, with the bass line pumping in my head. You know, if, if, you know, I went to a blues party. I, my mother and my father would put me in a, in a different room because I couldn't, I couldn't uh, you know, obviously I was, was a child then. But I always remember, because you always were at a certain height as a child. And you always saw things maybe that the adults didn't really sort of pay too much attention to. But I, I, when you're a certain height, you smell the food, of course, you eat well, the clothes, you remember that even the touch of things. So that was a very much a, um, a central part of, of that. And black joy, in a way. I mean, you know, it was about that. It was about release. Um, so Love, Love's Rock was, was, was very much about that. And that was very important to put into the concept of, of, of small acts. And, of course, we have um, um, uh, Mangrove, which was, which was showing. Mangrove, of course, was a very important court case, um, which happened in 1970 in Old Bailey. Um, it was a, yeah, it, it was a situation where these, it was a situation where, where Frank Critchlow 
open this cafe. He opened the cafe for, for West Indian people and for everyone, basically. But it was West Indian Cafe, a Black-owned West Indian cafe. And it became the sort of, a certain kind of um, magnet for sort of radicals. And, of course, he had to because of that, the other people in the state were sort of um, not liking that. Um, so anyway, I could talk about individual films or, 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 or like and get into details of that, but the whole concept in some ways was about how people lived and the ordinary, from the ordinary to the extraordinary. That's what I wanted. Right. So, so to just um, maybe focus on, on Lover's Rock um, a bit more, I mean, it's, as you describe it, I mean, I, this is, the film is such a sensory experience, you know, it, it is it's tactile. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you, you really get the sense that it's a film that comes from lived experience or maybe from sense memories. Um, are they just your memories or did you, did, was there a research process involved in terms of talking to people, you know, like looking at, 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 at what, what houses looked like, what, what people wore, what they cooked, what they listened to, you know, because all of that comes, comes through so vividly in the film. Well, that was a part of my background, also part of Courtier, the co-writer's background. I mean, he, I think his brother used to always, my mother used to have blues parties at, at his house. So he remembered a lot of that stuff as a child, again, you know, of a similar height as myself, I imagine. I, I came through it through, like, my aunt, because for me, the story, I remember stories of my aunt. And what happened, my aunt uh, wasn't allowed uh, to go to, you know, these parties. Of course, my grandmother would sort of, uh, you know, but my uncle would leave the back door open for her. So she used to go to the blues parties. She lived in a place called Sugar Bush, which was next door to Labra Grove. And then she would go to Labra Grove, run hills, these blues parties, and come back in the morning. And then she had to go to church the following day. So it was almost like, it was almost like Cinderella, um, for her in a way, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, Twelve o'clock came, and, and you know, pumpkins arrived, and mice arrived. It, a, a reality. So, but it is about that, isn't it? It is about that situation of when you're young, and it's all about the clothes and the music. And that party is real. That party is not uh, pretend. But that environment is so kind of um, another world. No, no, no. I wouldn't even say that is too much. It becomes a reality <laughs> within your um, every day. And it was magical. So what I wanted to do with Lovers Rock was bring, bring people to that party, bring the audience there. So therefore, there was a fluidity within, within the music. For me, this is, this is my musical. This is a musical that I've always wanted to do. This, 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 this is my musical, really. And yeah. I think the Courtier's history and my history, it was, it was a great um, great collaboration. And yeah, no, I, I definitely see the film as, as a musical. Um, and which brings me to, I guess, my you know, questions about the choice of music. If you can say a little bit about that, you know, the, the songs are very important in the film, and the choreography. I mean, it's it's so much a film about you know, you talk about Black Joy. It's a film about bodies, bodies in motion, and the sort of like the liberation, you know, and exhilaration of that. I mean, it, it, obviously, it's a very sexy movie, um, but it was very very good that because. You know, the sexuality and the freedom and, and the equality within it, within the sexuality was very important too. Um, uh, that and the, and the sort of that union and that sort of, um, I mean, that's Lover's Rock. It was, it, there was a, you know, without both parties being 50-50, there's, there's, there's nothing. And I think the, just also the ritual, the whole idea of how I remember how people used to grab, grab sort of, um, 
put their arm out for for to, to dance with a guy. He's always touched the elbow and then go, go down to the hand. That would be the ritual. Touch the elbow and go down to the hand. And hopefully she will see, she will be interested and that will be it. So little details like that, I, I remember. I mean, a lot of the music was, was, was by Corti because um, Corti's mother used to have the, the, the parties. I, I, there's three tracks that I, I, I can remember choosing, which were uh, um, obviously the Blondie track, which I loved and which was very much in that, at that time. I mean, Blondie was very big at that time. That's where Punk and Reggae was kind of, kind of closest. And then there was Kunta uh, Kente, which was the one where everyone goes crazy. I remember that track. And, uh, and, um, and of course, uh, three games. That was very, for me, that was the central part of the, of, of the blue in that uh, party. And again, it was about that sort of uh, liberation, that um, freedom, that nakedness, that sort of, uh, um, that's what I want to see. I don't, you don't see that very much on, on, in cinema, uh, 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 you know, black people having that and uh, total absolute nakedness. I think that was only, honestly, I, I know that for a fact, it was only made possible that the, the, was, was because of my crew. That was a fact. I know for a fact, I mean, a lot of the heads of the department, you know, which I was very you know, adamant about, were black and, you know, who, who, was, who was on set. That would not happen. This wouldn't have happened. I don't think people felt free enough to sort of, I'm not saying people, I think there's there been a bit of inhibition. And the fact that I was there to allow them to do whatever they wanted to do, and I was there, sometimes you could create that magic. I mean, that's what that's what you try to do at least, as um, as being the director at least. That's why I try to do this. So you worked with. Um, can you say a little bit about some of these collaborators? Your cinematographer, cinematographer, um, Shabier. He is absolutely amazing. He's from Antigua, um, and he he's a skater, and and of course he's a, he's a sailor. He was to listen, island man. Uh, so there's a, he has a wonderful sense of, of balance as a DP. I think he's got some, some of the best hands I've ever, I've ever seen. So we're like, you know, you see him, he's in, the, he's in there with the people, he's in there. And, you know, it doesn't matter how he goes within the audience, or not audience, excuse me. The characters, yeah. Into the party, into these characters, into this, the party. You are there with him. Beautiful. And there's no way... You know, I don't think there's any way that he he got those images in in, in the way that 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 we, that we did. Absolutely not. And you had a you were, the actress worked with a choreographer as well. Helen Scott, the the, the production designer, was absolutely fantastic. Jack Jackling, uh, the um, you know uh, the, 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 the 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 costume the costume designer. Yes, I mean she's an artist. She's an artist. We had so much fun. Going back and looking at the uh, and doing research about the clothes because it was a particular style. Don't forget, London we known for we know for our style. That's the fact. You know, if you go from you know mods, rockers, punks, in it, goths, you know, the, the rasters, the scar. You know, it was all about that. It was not you know I love about London. If I if I if I buy a nice pair of shoes and walk down the street in London, I know someone's going to give me a nod. Not everywhere's going to give you a nod. You know, they're going to give nice respect. You know what I mean? So it's all about the detail. And it was also beautiful about it. It's the, a lot of these dresses were made, handmade. I remember my mother had a Singer um, sewing machine and everybody would, get in, would be getting patterns and making their dresses and, 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 and blouses. So a lot of those dresses you saw were actually made 
and and a lot of those dresses you will, 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 will appear at these blues parties will, will be made. Um, you know, everyone wants to be unique. No one wants to have the same dresses as, as everyone else. So it'd be beautiful. And the guys with their double-breasted blazers and you know the, the, the gold buttons and it was it was you know you, 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 had, to, you had to come sharp to the dance. You had to come sharp to the dance. So what what's happened to this tradition of of the blues parties, the house parties? Well, good question. Um, I think, I think you know, American music came in. I think there was a lot of people, you know, Dub Dub took over, and I think a lot of people, you know, wanted to sort of, you know, when I, because my generation, it was all that soul, it was all that soul music, it was all that soul music. So the the other kind of blues parties was so they always play reggae, but it was it was a soul man that that, that took over. For example, but, but, you know, at the beginning, um, when Franklin asks, "Are you, are you, uh, are you, are you, are you, are you, uh, you know?" She, he asks a question like, "Are you a soul head? Are you, uh, are you a reggae head?" He goes, "No, I'm a lovers rock person." But a lot after that turned into American American soul music, and of course, the English versions of American soul music. A lot of that, you know, like jazz funk, mm-hmm. and blues parties and stuff like that. And, and then there was, and then there was rare groove, rare groove were these sort of 70s records, um, mainly from James Brown and his disciples. Uh, and those kind of sort of, you know, B-sides and stuff like that, where people used to sort of, um, you know, go crazy about this, be people just searching out for these sort of rare uh, vinyls. And that became a situation where people used to go to those those uh, those clubs. Um, so it, it, there was a now, there was an evolution from, um, fr- from these sort of uh, uh, blues parties to that. And of course, after that, we had Aston House. Aston House came uh, around 89. And then that was that. But all of these things come from blues, comes from dub, come from these kind of parties, you know, from, from the Shabins my mother and father used to go to in, in, in the 60s. There's this sort of, there's this sort of progression. You know, there's this, there's this you know, there's this, uh, well, but yeah, there's this sort of um, narrative. And, and if you want to go back to sort of, uh, you know, sound systems, you can even talk about you know, hip hop, obviously, that came from Jamaica, you know, that the, the, the seas of that, what, what happened with, you know, um, in the Bronx. So, I mean, these blues parties, you know, these, these shabins came about because, you know, black people were not welcome in, were not welcome into clubs. Um, there would be a quota. Um, there would be a situation where if <laughs> you were allowed in the club, if you were welcome in the club, there'd be a limit of, of how many people could, could go in. But more likely, people were not welcome, even if they were. People who would want to go, you know? So what happened was people started to make their own, and they did it in a very sort of, um, you know, a homemade way, which was, you know, doing these blues at the, at the house and charging people to come in and charging for, for drinks. So there were clubs in houses. And of course, um, what I loved about this, you know, when I went, I remember these humongous speakers in someone's living room, you know, so it was just like how um, these living rooms were, you know, in the, you can imagine what were happening, you know, people watching TV or sort of, you know, um, hang out with their families and then, and then all of a sudden they'd be transformed into these nightclubs, you know. I mean, I love it because it's, that's what Small X is about. It is about, you know, doing it yourself. Don't be worried if people aren't letting you in, then you just do it your way. You know, you just get on with it, basically. Can we just come back to um, the point you were making about just how you created these conditions for the actors, you know, that allowed them to lose their inhibitions? So I'm just wondering if you could say a little bit more about what the atmosphere on, on the set was mm-hmm. like 
for some for a film like this? Was it as as joyous as as it seems? You know what, Dennis? I think once you get people who are the same um, age, same generation, or, or acknowledge one another, and they find themselves in an environment where they're being given this platform, a platform that they've never sort of been in before, but knowing is a platform of, how can I say, a, a platform where they can shine, they go for it. And also, it's, it, it was a case of the cameras didn't have to, the you know what, what was interesting about this whole thing? The cameras didn't have to be there. They were, that party would have been created by itself without the cameras. And that's wonderful. I was invited. I might have created, but actually I was invited. And thank you to them for that. Absolutely. And as a filmmaker, I mean, for the next, that's, you're lucky to be present. You know, it's like fishing. Yeah. Hope you catch something. And, uh, you know, mm. So, do you, for the for those scenes, then did you did you give less direction than you typically would? Did you just did, uh, there was? I mean, there was a choreographer, a, a dance choreographer, they trained before. Absolutely, and uh, forgive me, I, I I forgot, I just forgot her name. I've just been mixing it in my goodness. So please forgive me. And she was training them, and that was that was, a, that was incredible. And then you know, but when they're in the room. You sort of like leave all the things behind, you know. You, it's, you, you have it. You have it, but at the same time, you're in the room, so you adapt to it. You adapt what you know yourself and what you've learned to to the room. So it was one of those things where, um, you know, yeah, it was. I was be- less directing. I think I did my best directing. You know why? Because you let things go. You, I unclutched. You know, it was a case of. Letting, let's see what happens. And of course, when you've got great actors, they are all great actors, by the way. They know they're not, it's not just, yes, they are in, in, inhibited, but they're in control. They're not, it's like, you know, it's like we, as, as a jazz, uh, uh, in, in a, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, um, a musician. It's, it's, you lose it, but you're in control. You're in control. Improvisation, you're in control. It's not just sort of funny daddy. It's, it's in control. There's a method behind the madness. So, for me, it was one of those situations where, um, how can I say? Yeah, I, I just all I'll do is repeat what I just said. I was, I was, I was, I was, I was, I was invited. I might have created, but I was invited. And you know, things like silly games. When I saw people to go a cappella in silly games, that was not planned. That was not planned. Oh no, that was not planned. That just happened. It came out. I was like, okay, we would keep, keep just like just record it. All that stuff, all that was, all that was, all that stuff, all the variations, all the sudden kind of variations on the tune and the towards the end, silly, yeah, all that kind of stuff. That was not planned. That just that happened. That happened. All I, I'm, I'm, I'm a witness with a camera. That's all I was. But guess what? They knew the time. They knew 1979, 1980. They, they were in character for that time. So certain things they wouldn't do, couldn't do because of the, of, 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 the, um, of the period, of course. But they sort of channeled that. So, yeah, it was, it was amazing. It was, it was just one of those things where it's punk rock. It was just, it was, it was wonderful. Just, uh, it was, it was um, yeah, I was, I was, but also, it is, so a certain time where I'd be, I'd be sort of, um, Going in there with my hands and knees, sort of, you know, telling people, duh, 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 you, you know, the camera's up here. And I was like, duh, 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 duh. so some of the times I was on my hands and knees on the floor and then calling back to my monitor. So it was just beautiful. You know, sometimes you just, you're, 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 it's, it's um, I can't even describe it, uh, Dennis. It was, it was, it was, it was just as you saw 
in the film. It was euphoric. That's what euphoric. That's amazing. It sounds like it's a very different way of working than you typically would on a on a narrative feature film, but but maybe more in line with some of your other work in terms of um, installation work, and t- because you talk about observing, capturing, mm. documenting something, and you've worked in those modes um, as a visual artist. Yeah, yes, you're quite right. Um, you're quite right. Um, I think as an artist, uh, I don't know. You know, I don't know if I, I don't know if there's a, if there's this sure. or that. Yeah. Artist, I think it's you have to know when to do something and then know when to step back. That's all. I think this was that 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 that, that occasion, um, and especially you know step back, step back because. All that stuff was just so. It was yeah. It was euphoric, euphoric. It was euphoric. I feel. I feel. I want to just, you know, want to. I want to. I want to dance right now. Sorry, sorry but <laughs> vibrant. You know, it was just all about life and possibilities. It was all about possibilities and life. Possibilities. It was. It was. You know. It was beyond. It was beyond. It was beyond. And uh, that, that's how it was. And um, you know, it's great. Well, I think that's. Well, I'm repeating myself, man. <laughs> so. No, I think that I think that's a great, great note to end on. A great point uh, to make. And um, you know, this is a, a strange year in which we don't have, I think, for the first time ever, an opening night um, party for the New York Film Festival. But we have an opening film that basically is the party. So uh, I think it was a very fitting choice. Um, and we're really sad that you're not here, um, but thank you so much for for the films um and you know we'll make sure you you're here the next time we show your work yeah we'll, we'll be like party like it's 1999 we're gonna die anyway so let's go <laughs> for, you know let's go for it let's go out with two guns blazing why not thank, thank you steve thank you Dennis.